I'm, I'm just going to talk in the old man voice the entire episode. <laughs> we'll get more listeners that this way. This is a show about music. Um, so uh, if you're just joining us, if you were enticed by an entire episode uh, called Radiohead, what we do on this show is we have a theme. We have five different, I'd say, questions that we ask. You know, mm-hmm. what is the best this? What is the best that? Uh, and Ethan and I both put forth a candidate and then we sort of fake battle about which one is actually the best. Yeah. Essentially, the 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 concept of the show, it's just a framework for us to geek out about music. One thing about Radiohead is, and I have like a capsule explanation for like a person who knows nothing about pop culture of Radiohead. Mm-hmm. I think to put it simply, if you're going to explain what Radiohead are, Radiohead are the greatest mass communicators of the avant-garde since the Beatles. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And it's yeah. it's important to think about them as being vanguards of the avant-garde in a way that is approachable because I think that there is a balance that they strike between doing something of their own accord and also mm-hmm. being conscious of making a single. And yeah. I don't think that that's a bad thing. I mean, I've no, they don't want to punish their audience. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and we've talked before about about artists that have at times wanted to punish their audience, like mm-hmm. Beck or like MGMT, you know, putting out albums or after their big hits <laughs> or Lou Reed. Yeah, I'm basically like to the outsider who needs this explained to them, like for 30, almost 30 years, they've taken these really cerebral, theory heavy, really complex musical ideas and put them into a populist package. I don't think Radiohead's pretentious because to an untrained ear, to a 13-year-old kid, right, it sounds weird, but like math rock sounds weird or like John Cage or, you know, minimalist Philip Glass music. Mm -hmm. You hear it and you're like, this sounds like something that a person with a degree would understand, but they are truly communicators of the avant-garde. The amazing thing about Radiohead is that they appeal to everybody. Mm. They make music for hipsters. Like Mm -hmm. a lazy comedian in 2005 would be like, oh, put on your scarf and listen to some Radiohead. But like, it's also for jocks. It's also (laughs) for teeny boppers, right? A person who likes Justin Bieber would also like Radiohead, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Punks and like hardcore people with that taste, they like Radiohead. It's dad rock. It's also mom rock. (laughs) yeah um but like that this is what i mean by that you know on i remember like looking on last fm you could have a person today who likes the foo fighters the red hot chili peppers and radiohead someone who likes justin bieber ariana grande and radiohead someone who Mm -hmm. likes philip glass john cage john cage uh and and radiohead someone who likes the velvet underground every imprint on the sacred bones label and radiohead there is nothing restrictive about their music they've mined something extremely original and endlessly re-listenable because it is so complex it is not mm-hmm. their music is not complex for the purpose of being challenging it's for the purpose of rewarding repeat listens mm-hmm. whether you understand what they're doing musically or not and and to get back to a conversation that we've we've had in previous episodes there are musicians and there are genres that are built on creating complexity for 
complexity's sake, creating yeah. complexity to have fun playing that music or to have fun listening to that music or trying to pick the lock on that music or what have you. I, I think Radiohead, like the Beatles, enjoy creating musically complex, harmonically complex, you know, rhythmically complex mm -hmm. music because it allows, as Dane said, for repeated listens, but because it allows for listeners to engage with the music more. Um, I think that is something that you really get out of a, a band like Radiohead. And again, a band like the Beatles that knew how to write a song using the tools that they had in terms of production, in terms of harmonic changes and key changes and all of that stuff, but didn't do it just for its own sake. Yeah. And, and just on a personal level, like Radiohead is easily the band that I've continuously had on rotation in my life since I was 13. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. And you can have your favorite band, like I would say my favorite bands are Ween and Built to Spill, but they are not on constant rotation in my life. Right. Radiohead has consistently been on since I was 13. And it's just because it's so rich with ideas and it's so generous. They're just mm -hmm. such generous uh, artists. Yeah, so, so let's, let's talk about how that came to be. I'd love yeah. to hear your five minute uh, Radiohead biography, if you will. Yeah, I will, I will try to be brief. So Radiohead are five people and they have never changed the lineup. It's, it's pretty incredible. They all met in high school. And we're going to get into the kind of like personalities and kind of the, the strengths of all the different members. But like Radiohead is a band. They are not like a shell group for one or two egos. They mm -hmm. work together as a band. They're incredibly democratic and they all bring something really exceptional to the group. So these five members are little Tommy York, Tom York himself. Tom York is the singer and one of the greatest voices in rock music history, just the most dynamic snarls and the most angelic falsettos. Mm -hmm. And he is also the, uh, you know, these are, they're all songwriters. No one person is the songwriter. Uh, he also plays guitar and he plays piano. Johnny Greenwood is the other famous member. Johnny Greenwood is the guitarist. He also plays keys and he's a multi-instrumentalist. And he is commonly known as the like wunderkind virtuoso of the group who brings all of their weird ideas and perhaps the other members balance him out. And he provides those textures. But I, I, I would push against that. Johnny Greenwood's famous because he makes the most noticeably weird shit or the most noticeably like the the bleeps and bloops as we're calling them are, are mm -hmm. traceable to Johnny Greenwood. He's also famous because he composes music for movies. Um, mm -hmm. He has been uh, the director Paul Thomas Anderson's composer, composer for his for his music uh, since There Will Be Blood in two thousand seven, and he does a lot of orchestral music. He does musical projects with musicians from around the world, uh, much like David Byrne, uh, who whom we've talked about. So he is, he is very famous for being like a musical genius and really kind of bringing that stuff to Radiohead. But I will argue throughout this that Radiohead is a five piece and you don't have what they are putting forward without all five of them. Yeah. Um, so be before we go on, I want to just quickly touch on Tom and Mr. Greenwood, because I think that they are 
rightfully kind of two of the like centerpiece musicians in this band. I think Dane, you put it really, really well. I think the thing that is so attractive about Tom York as a vocalist, mm-hmm. um, because that is his his main piece of the band as a performer. And you could argue it's not his main contribution, but I think, you know, as a as a kind of traditional pop or rock group, mm-hmm. the vocalist is the one who's front and center. Yeah. I think his ability to utilize his voice in a myriad of different ways is one of the most important aspects of this band. They have not only shifted the sounds that they use and the kind of composition that they do, be it an eight minute long song that has five different distinct sections or a two minute song that's almost like a punk jam, um, but he also shifts along with that and that's makes their music really endlessly listenable and can go from the snarl to the falsetto to the operatic and everything in between. And then I think as far as Johnny Greenwood is concerned, again, a, a very similar ability to be this kind of chameleon and to shape what he is putting out to fit whatever the song needs. Yeah. And that's something that is really rare for musicians especially people that have been playing for a long time who are really, really talented is people get into patterns where they say, I hear a thing. And rather than I'm going to adjust my musical practice to fit what I feel will help build this into its kind of direction, Mm -hmm. I'm going to just do the thing that I know how to do and kind of try and fit it into that rather than use the tools that I have to really kind of carve this block of granite, if you will. So those again, are those are my thoughts on those two. Yeah, and you don't have Radiohead's democratic team effort songwriting without that ability to adapt. We have the third guitarist, Ed O'Brien. It's important to note that Radiohead is a three guitar attack, and oh, yeah. they are not like you know any kind of like hard rock connotation of a dual guitar. I'm going to get into their influences, but they took a lot from like television and the Talking Heads and these kinds of arpeggiated finger-picking interplays between three different guitars. So Ed O'Brien, I think, is definitely the most underrated member of the band, and we're going to kind of get into what he brings to the table with my choice for Prettiest Moment. Ed O'Brien, guitarist, he sings all the background vocals, so he has a wonderful backup voice. And yeah, I'll, I'll kind of get into his contributions later. Wayne Coyne of the Flaming Lips called Ed O'Brien the mayor of Radiohead. <laughs> which which that's I cool. think probably makes Tom York the town crier. Yeah. So that's Ed O'Brien. Uh, Johnny Greenwood's older brother, Colin Greenwood, is the bassist and a very fine bassist. But uh, unfortunately, if you are doing your job as the bassist, you won't be super noticeable. But I can point to a lot of songs uh, where he is absolutely just shredding it on the bass. Um, yeah. And Phil Selway, the drummer slash inspiration for bald men everywhere. <laughs> um as Ethan made it a point to say, Radiohead is not just melodically complex and rich, but rhythmically mm-hmm. uh, extremely rich. And he, he definitely brings a lot to the table. And as we'll get to with their kind of career trajectory, you don't have their like infamous slash famous turn to electronica and these kinds of skittering Aphex Twin type beats. My drum instructor in college said Phil Selway was, was not a great drummer. And he says that you listen to Radiohead for the songwriting 
exciting. I don't know. It's in the eye of the beholder, I suppose. Maybe an avant-garde jazz drummer won't think that it's it's the most interesting stuff. But Mm -hmm. again, that idea of communicating the avant-garde in a populist package. Yeah. Well, so I guess I'll respond to those three other musicians in the group in, in reverse order. So one, I think... When you think about drums in Radiohead, absolutely, you have to talk about the electronica influence that they took on kind of midway through their career and have sustained, I think, in bits and pieces afterwards. But it's not, no one is going to give an award for, you know, really virtuosic drumming to Radiohead. And a lot of their songs are the same drum beat through the entire song. However, what I think is really notable is that the drum beats are very interesting. They're very often quite syncopated. One of the choices that I have, we'll talk about uh, the drum pattern in that, is really syncopated. They do a lot of subtly interesting things with the rhythm section in their songs. I think that is, go, go back to our Beatles comparison, very similar to what Ringo did. Ringo did exactly enough. There's uh, you know, an argument to be made for doing just enough and, and nothing more as a musician in order to benefit the song and the project that you're working on as a whole. And I think that Radiohead does that really well. Yeah, and I would say, you know, is Phil Salloway the the Neil Peart of indie rock? No, but he's a songwriting drummer. Right. It's more of a melodic instrument than it is, you know, uh, a way to impress the the jazz heads, you know? Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree with that. In terms of bass, I think it's a really underrated aspect of Radiohead. If you listen to a song, for example, Body Snatchers from In Rainbows, the bass line in that is propulsive. It provides the foundation of the entire song. I also think the foundation of the song I Might Be Wrong is fully Colin Greenwood's performance. Yeah, absolutely. So there is a lot to be said about having bass be the underpinning two songs, but also having it be the melodic lead. And it's not something that you hear bands mix up a lot. When you think of a band like Interpol or a band like The Dismemberment Plan, which is one of my favorite bands, these are bands that the bass has a function. The bass is actually the lead melodic communicator in those groups, right? If you think about Interpol, the guitar is just kind of doing chords pretty simply in the background and providing some texture in Radiohead it does both functions depending on the song and depending on the needs of the project that they were working on at the time and I think that that's another thing that makes their music really re-listenable is that the instruments don't all have the same function all the time sometimes as Dane said the drums are the melody right sometimes uh, the bass is the melody sometimes the guitar is the melody and then to speak about guitars this three guitar attack it is not a unison 
we're going to just no. add more guitar, right? No. More layers. No, there's a lot of interplay. There's a lot of interweaving. There's a lot of using the guitar in very different ways across all three of these musicians yeah. at the same time, which again they, provides yeah. a lot of interesting elements to their music that you won't necessarily hear in a classic rock or hair metal band that's just got guitarists because it looks cool on stage. When we say three guitars, they are playing three different guitars. Yeah, the interplay is really complex. Yeah. And I think what you were saying about Colin and the idea of the, the instrument that takes the lead, I think that transitions us nicely to the, a brief history of Radiohead because when they were playing together as teenagers, they would switch instruments. The five of them really need each other. So a super, super, super brief history of this band because, <laughs> you know. We're going to do better than Pitchfork's two-minute video. Go. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm choking. Okay, well, so... They are all from Abington, Oxfordshire in, in England, which Oxfordshire is the town where Oxford University is. So Tom York, who's kind of our protagonist of the story of Radiohead, uh, he moved to Oxfordshire when he was seven. A quick thing here. So, you know, if anyone who's seen a picture of Tom York, he's kind of a, say, ruggedly handsome, but weird looking dude. Uh, everyone kind of notices that he has a, a drooping eyelid. He had seven different eye surgeries when he was uh, a newborn infant, and they botched the last one, which messed up his eye, which causes him to always mm. have a, a drooping eyelid. I bring this up because an important thing to talk about, we've talked only about music, but we're going to get into their lyrics. Radiohead, in terms of their lyrics and their, I'd say, like marketing aesthetic, are all about alienation mm -hmm. and outsiderness. I think Tom York, especially, who I think drives a lot of the lyrical themes. I, I could be wrong. He maybe just writes all the lyrics. Radiohead is celebrated for and perhaps, you know, parodied for mm -hmm. their pretty uncomfortable alienation, outsiderness, their skepticism of technology and modern life. More productive, comfortable, not drinking too much, regular exercise at the gym, three days a week. Getting on better with your associate employee contemporaries. At ease. Eating well. No more. Alex Ross, the great musicologist, music journalist, said uh, Radiohead <laughs> became the poster boys for a certain kind of knowing alienation as the talking heads in REM had been before. So, And also, I'll say, um, as a band that has presented itself as very serious and very heavy, I would say, yeah. lyrically, yeah. Um, and talking about alienation, their alienation, the way in which they address that has shifted and has stayed relevant. Yes. And that is remarkable. I mean, to think about a band that's had a 25-year career, 30-year career at this point, to have continued to make music that is relevant to the anxieties and yeah. the worries of that particular cultural moment is pretty stunning. And I think they've done that not just through their lyrical content, but the music that's associated with that. So, yeah. you know, you think about an album like OK Computer, it was very, an alienation through technology was the worry of that. A Moonshaped Pool is much more about other anxieties that are relevant to us in 2019, 2020. Yeah. So I, I think that their ability to not just play the same tune, if you will, is pretty important to their development as a group. 
and to their staying relevant as a group. Sure. So the boys all met each other in high school. Tom York and Colin Greenwood, same age. Ed O'Brien, Phil Selway were older and they started playing. And then Colin drafted his younger brother, Johnny, in from a different group. Uh, do you know their original name? I don't. On a Friday, because that was the only uh, day that they had time to rehearse in the school's music room. Sounds like a high school band name, although Radiohead is not too far away from that. Radiohead's <laughs> not my favorite band name, but they did not like their school. They did like their music teacher who, uh, interesting fact, when he was interviewed, he was like, yeah, Tom, he was not a born musician. He really had to you know, struggle to get to where he is. Not like Johnny. Johnny's a genius, right? So, you know, he, he could kind of see that in that moment there. So they're playing, they make an early demo as on a Friday, and they were offered a record deal by Island Records, which is an enormous record label. Pretty amazing. They all decided to go to school first, or as the British call it, university. So Tom York went to Exeter, University of Exeter. On weekends, they rehearsed. Tom York in college also met Stanley Donwood, who designed all of their album covers from the Benz onward. I think you also can't really talk about Radiohead without talking about their visual aesthetic, some of the most distinctive album artwork in popular music. Album artwork that when I was first learning about them really kind of put me off. I was kind of like, it, it just, I just didn't like it, <laughs> but it, it's yeah, very, not approachable. Very, it's not, not approachable. approachable. Yeah. It's not your, you know, band on the front cover, no. front sleeve of a record. They, it's they've uh, never definitely been. not. Yeah, they've never been on the front sleeve of the record. Although the, I will say that artwork for OK Computer just gets better with every year. It's it's really a spectacular piece of art. So they get a six album recording contract with EMI uh, as they start playing around Oxford. EMI requests that they change their crappy name to a different crappy name. So they take it from a talking head song called Radio Head, which is there was a space between it. They deleted the space, called it Radiohead. So it's cool that they got a talking head style name but uh, never I've never been a fan of, of that they release an EP called the drill EP which funny story up until the age of streaming was there were like a hundred copies of it and it cost like ten thousand dollars to buy it on eBay now you can just go to Spotify and just listen to it so right. uh, we live in both a wonderful and a kind of disappointing world where <laughs> the mystique of everything is kind of uh, di- you know dispelled goddamn ten thousand dollar mystique <laughs> they put out their first album Pablo Honey which uh, nobody likes <laughs> and is very much indebted to the grunge era they I think they were trying to distance themselves from the Britpop explosion their contemporaries and Oasis and blur were trading in also very influenced by jeff buckley and what you could not hear on pablo honey in terms of their influence but would manifest later extremely influenced by u2 mm-hmm. arena rock uh, rem the pixies they've never wanted to be associated with prog rock they don't really like pink floyd comparisons but they are in the vein of the beatles as pink floyd were one of the great mass communicators of musical complexity you know uh, pop psychedelia right mm-hmm. So on that album, it it did not do well. So the release of Creep, the lead single, slowly gained momentum and then it became an enormous hit. 
I could be wrong, but it may be their highest charting single still. Sort of technically makes them a one-hit wonder, which is really hilarious. <laughs> um, even though they have other charting songs and they've had a number one album. Uh, Creep, actually, it began to be played on Israeli radio. Israel was the first major market for Radiohead. They came and played in Tel Aviv, and then it, it kind of it caught on in America. Enormous hit. I think the thing that made Creep such a big hit was that the, you know, the melody was was strong. It's a kind of a run-of-the-mill grunge song, but it would hint at later things to come because everyone's favorite part of Creep is this otherworldly guttural guitar belch that <laughs> sprays out from Johnny Greenwood's guitar right before the, the chorus kicks in. You're so fucking special But I'm a creep It's a good song, but I think people were like, what the hell is that? And <laughs> Radiohead would make a career for the next 30 years of making stuff that makes people go, what the hell is that? Mm -hmm. You know. Mm -hmm. From there, we have people pigeonholing them as one-hit wonders based on Creep. Pablo Honey's not that good of an album. You have easily the biggest quantum leap in artistry between two albums of all time, between two artworks. I think I can't I can't think of a bigger jump in artistic quality than the jump from Pablo Honey to the Benz. Yeah, so the Benz is named the Benz because uh, after the nickname for air compression sickness when divers come up too fast, and this was a metaphor for their sudden fame and their sudden kind of derisive fame for being one-hit wonders, having to be on tour constantly. They hated it. The song from the Benz, uh, My Iron Lung, is using the metaphor of an iron lung to refer to the tour bus. So with the Benz, they go from Pablo Honey uh, being a pretty generic grunge album to synthesizing the arena rock of U2 and sort of the vocal power of Bono with the garage rock, kind of college rock of R.E.M. and the grunge influence dynamics of the Pixies and again the singing of Jeff Buckley. They take it to its next logical step. It's grungy, it's theatrical, it's, but it's like, po like popular prog of Pink Floyd too, as I mentioned. And that is the Benz and it's still considered one of the best albums ever made.
probably helped be the fork in the road also between the two post-grunge sounds, one of which became Radiohead and it's everyone that they influenced, the other of which became our, our boys in, in Nickelback and Creed and Stained. And Whom we that. so love, love so dearly. So that's the Benz. Um, and one, that is- One thing about the Benz yes. um, and a song I want to point out just, this is the seventh song on the album about halfway through. You do it to This song, I think, is very indicative of where Radiohead would go in terms of the textures that they would yes. produce. So you still have that same, you know, very hard rock sound that you might have heard on Crete, the chk yeah. kind of like... Or the kind of, yeah, definitely with the guitars, the thing that you might expect The Edge to do, or mm -hmm. Peter Buck from R.E.M., the distorted, using the guitar, especially the beginning, as like a, a synthesizer-type instrument. But then... Mm -hmm. What happened? But then we've got a, a whole lot of mess in the middle of this uh, song with this really, and towards the end, just really aggressive, really abrasive, really almost like Tom Morello kind mm -hmm. of sounds going on. Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine sounds going on. And um, it's important it, to note, uh, I'd say a good 15 seconds of feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Towards the, towards the very end of this before the kind of final section, it is a smack in the face. It's yeah. really, really unexpected from what you initially are hearing as a, a really good and very, I would say, straightforwardly aggressive rock song into something different. that's a precursor to the rest of their music for the yeah. next 10, 15 years. Yeah, and they, they, they really build on it. And yeah, the Benz is one of three, I'd say like mile markers in the road in terms of their artistic progression. So they took all those influences I was talking about and they blew it up to its greatest proportions. And I think Just, the song Just is a really good encapsulation of, mm -hmm. of what they achieved on that album. So the Benz received enormous critical praise and it has a number of singles that do really well and get MTV play for their videos, especially uh, Fake Plastic Trees. So they tour around again too much <laughs> and then they go and they go to a country estate owned by the actress who played Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman <laughs> to record their third album, OK Computer. They get pretty obsessed with synthesizers. Uh, I remember reading a quote from Tom York. He said, when we would get bored, miserable and bored with our guitars, we threw the guitars away and bought synthesizers. Then we got uh, miserable and bored with the synthesizers. We threw the synthesizers away and brought back the guitar. Mm. And yeah, uh, so OK Computer is a guitar rock album. They took a lot of what they were doing on the bends and they just exploded it into widescreen Technicolor.
they push the sound of the bend to its furthest reaches while incorporating way more synthesizers and influences from electronica without ever dipping into the esoteric or the snobby. And it's just, you know, important to say that OK Computer even is held in even higher esteem than the Benz. It is considered the greatest album of the 90s by Pitchfork. It is sort of our generation's dark side of the moon. Mm. I don't really know what to say about OK Computer. It's my favorite Radiohead album for sure. I think if you were to explain it, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think if you were to point to an album to describe a band, um, especially a band like Radiohead that's had such influence and has been around for so long, this would be the one. Yeah. Um, It has a little bit of everything that we think of as being Radiohead. Right. It's their, so, it's their Sergeant Pepper. It's their Exile on Main Street. It's their mm-hmm. London Calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it has the really aggressive rock sounds. Um, you can hear that on electioneering. that on Paranoid Android. You can hear really beautiful, almost orchestral operatic sounds, exit music for a film. light pop music, I suppose, something really pretty, like No Surprises. you know, a song in the vein of Creep in terms of its kind of pop appeal on Karma Police. But again, it has everything. Um, It touches on everything and it is really diverse in its musical stylings. And I think for that reason, along with the individual songs on the album, it stood the test of time as kind of, this is the, this is a centerpiece. So if you out there are, are thinking of how do I get into Radiohead? How do I understand this band? There's not a much better place to start than this album. Yeah. And I would say when, when we were talking earlier about like how they're great communicators of the avant-garde, I think, I think you can find that all on OK Computer because it, it's an incredibly complex piece of music throughout, but it is beloved by millions, yeah. millions and millions and millions. It's a mainstay in everybody's col- you know collection. Everyone, everyone had OK Computer in their little binder of CDs, you know. Yeah. And then our third kind of mile marker on this road is Kid A. And Kid A, like how the the Benz is kind of synonymous with this quantum leap in, in artistic ability. Kid A, I think, is synonymous with like the great artistic or, you know, musical pivot. That That's kind of what, uh, if you say someone is doing a Kid A album, that's uh, kind of what that connotes. Kid A is a really, 
it was a departure from the rock sound that they were doing. It's an electronica album influenced by Aphex Twin and Venetian Snares and Autiker and in the way that OK Computer incorporated keyboard sounds, uh, you know, electronica sounds into their rock music. They were uh, hinting at their rock music in electronica. Mm -hmm. Our resident source, Stephen Thomas Erlewine, he, he made an important observation that like like U2, the likes of U2 and stuff for, for the past 10 years had been doing these kind of like airzots incorporations of house music into their music, but he uses the word carpet baggers, right? Radiohead do not sound like carpet baggers on Kid Aid because they are actual like students of this kind of like uh, what was called at the time like intelligent dance music mm -hmm. uh, so it, it really it sounds like what it is and so blew up everyone's brains. Some fans didn't like it. Uh, it's responsible for the worst Pitchfork review of all time. A very infamous 10 out of 10 review, which has choice lines. Have you read this review? No, I've never read this. Are you serious? Yeah. Give me, give me the best line. Yeah, yeah. This is probably the most infamous line from it. The experience and emotions tied to listening to Kid A are like witnessing the stillborn birth of a child while simultaneously having the opportunity to see her play in the afterlife on IMAX. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? <laughs> Pitchfork, bad prose and tasteless and gives you no idea about what is actually going on in the music. Unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, I would say Kid A took them from these sort of like giants of the music industry to, to mythology. Because uh, they were able to pull off this kind of Hail Mary and uh, not get locked in the same kind of thing that they were doing. put out Amnesiac, they put out Hail to the Thief, which is their most explicitly political work during the Bush era, which we've talked about. In 2007, they release In Rainbows, which uh, they do the pay what you want model to distribute it. It was, uh, they were not signed any label when they did that. Then we have The King of well, Limbs. Let's, can we pause on In Rainbows? Because I think that this gets to Radiohead, not just as musical innovators, but Radiohead as industry innovators. In Rainbows is my personal favorite Radiohead album. I think it also, the timing of it was really important for me because yeah. it was when I first started listening to Radiohead. I learned about In Rainbows. And anyway, this album being released for free was not done. Yeah. Everything is free now, right? Every single piece of music can be accessed on Spotify or SoundCloud or pay what you want on some, on some you know, band on camp. Band camp like yeah. that. that was not how it worked mm -hmm. in 2007. It's kind of crazy to think about that, not how it, yeah. uh, not being how Things it works. Things change really fast, yeah. But um, this was a complete, 
I don't, I don't want to say guess as to why, if it would work, but it was, it, it was viewed with intense skepticism and criticism yeah. industry-wide. And it sort of made every single label and the music industry in general go, holy shit, mm -hmm. because we've already had the phase of Napster. We've already had the phase of LimeWire. Yeah, where it's important to say the music industry just sat like a lame duck doing absolutely nothing uh, right. innovative to, to, to counter the fact that everyone could access music for free. Yeah, and there were some artists that that did something about it. Metallica sort of famously were, were mm -hmm. assholes and, and sued people, individual people who are downloading their music on Napster. But the record labels just kind of said, well, you know, we're, we're doing fine. We're going to be okay. Um, this was a big wake-up call, not just to musicians, to say, you can actually do this yourself. And it was Radiohead's most profitable album ever yep. by quite a long yeah. distance because yeah. they got all the money directly. But also it was a it was alarm bells ringing for all of the industry heads who were going, you know, things are fine. The meme of the dog sitting in the, uh -huh. <laughs> at the table with the house burning around them. This is yeah. fine. Everything is fine. This was the wake-up call. Um, and so I think that in Rainbows, even if it's not people's, you know, favorite Radiohead album or an album that they think of when they think of Radiohead, it had a huge and outsized influence on the industry, on music yeah. as a an industry. Um, and I would I would say to the point where the music of In Rainbows got a little bit overshadowed at at that time, but now I think it's earned its rightful place. It's my second favorite mm -hmm. of their albums. I think it's kind of a sequel to OK Computer just mm -hmm. in the way that it is back to their complex guitar rock sound. Uh, and it's, you know, it's just the best set of songs they've written. It's, it's very consistent. Spy in Rainbows, they do not plateau, but they kind of stop dramatically breaking the mold. They start settling into their kind of elder statesmen doing what we want, right. grooving kind of thing, which with the their next album, The King of Limbs, not super popular. You know, a lot of people were kind of mystified by it, but it's kind of them doing the, the Kid A thing even in a more alienating way. I would say it's their least accessible album. And then, Yeah, I would say it's their least accessible. It also felt to me when it when it was released, and I think it, perhaps in retrospect, it is so minimal. There is not a lot to grab onto with a lot of these songs, either melodically or harmonically. They're, they're just kind of almost veering into like their most experimental territory, I would argue, yeah, because sure. it is, you know, a lot of the songs are just a bass line and some rhythm um, or just, you know, a sample and some guitar and a vocal. It is an odd one, but there's some really beautiful tracks on there, and we'll talk about those. One of which is my favorite Radiohead song. Uh, and then in 2016, A Moon-Shaped Poo, uh, <laughs> A Moon-Shaped Pool, kind of their uh, album of, of ballads, I would say. Just a really gentle, beautiful album. An album about Tom York's divorce, and uh, I've selected a song from that that kind of speaks to that lyrically. That was a, a too long... Uh, <laughs> Before we dive in, I, I think now that we've thought about all of their albums, we've kind of go th gone through their history as a band and their progression as a band, maybe we can just identify like what makes Radiohead Radiohead. Um, sure, what yeah. Makes them yeah. Special. So I think for me, there's a few things that stand out. 
One is aesthetically. That's everything from their drive for kind of musical experimentation and independence, mm -hmm. um, but also their kind of consistent, as we talked about, aesthetic of alienation. Thematic obsession with mm -hmm. uh, 21st century. Well, if it was in the 90s, it was always the advent of the 21st century, uh, breaking us up, really presciently writing about isolation of individuals at the hands of uh, increasingly Internet of Things society. Yeah, and so I think isolation and alienation really um, go hand in hand in their lyrics in a lot of ways. I think musically, you're looking at influences of rock and electronica, mm -hmm. but also really fierce musical experimentation yeah. from every single aspect. So that's not yeah. just the sounds and the instruments that they're using, but it's also the harmonies that they're using, the influences that they're drawing from. Yeah. One song in particular we'll talk about has some really interesting influences. And then also uh, their liberal use of more outside of the pop box mm -hmm. musical toolkit yes. that they're using. So a lot of interesting harmonic shifts, key changes, time signature changes, yeah. uh, a lot of chromaticism. So using half steps and, yeah. and really um, there's, there's almost like a set of Radiohead chords you could point to in this way. Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Again, our categories are best Tom York mumble, <laughs> best bleep bloop, prettiest moment, best lyrical image, best Radiohead song. I will start with mine for best Tom York mumble, if that's okay. Yeah, please. And let's talk a little bit about why this category exists, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so one, one of the things that perhaps Tom York is uh, known for as a, a singer that is not painting him in the best light is that he mumbles. Mm -hmm. Some of his lyrics are only known because they were written on a, you know, an album insert. Which makes um, hearing any Kid A lyric impossible because they did not publish the lyrics to Kid A. Right. Um, right. So it's, it's pretty funny that somebody with such a dynamic, beautiful voice um, that can do all of these different things. And incredible lyrics. And, and very incredible good. lyrics. Yeah. Just can't enunciate. <laughs> so uh, I thought it would be appropriate for us to do a category about Tom York's very famous mumbling. Yeah, and so I picked Let Down from OK Computer, my favorite Radiohead album and my wife Nora's favorite Radiohead song, mm. which in the past few years she really brought me back to this song and helped me appreciate it for how beautiful it is. And I, I should also say all of my picks could uh, bleed into the other categories. Um, a, a lot of moments in Let Down are definitely the most beautiful music they've written in their whole careers. But I picked Let Down because I want to mount it as a defense for Tom York's mumbling. I think at times his mumbling is like a flaw or a crutch or like an insecurity. Mm -hmm. In Let Down, he uses his voice to mix in as an instrument. on this podcast that I love, this very goofy podcast with Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott, where they originally did U2, then they did R.E.M. and uh, did Red Hot Chili Peppers for one episode and then decided they don't like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so now they're doing the Talking Heads. 
uh, they quoted David Byrne as saying, lyrics are there to make you come back to the music. Mm. And so I think often Tom York uses his angelic uh, voice as an instrument to first draw you into what's going on in the music and have it be part of that landscape. Part of the joy of Radiohead also is like eventually learning what some sound he's making means and mm -hmm. understanding that's actually this like really eloquent or poetic or as you said imagistic piece of writing. So I, I think he does that best in the song Let Down. So Let Down is about disappointment. Mm -hmm. One line is disappointed people clinging on to bottles. It's really a beautiful and, and sad song. And again, it doesn't tell a narrative. It's mostly about, again, th this idea of alienation. The first lyrics are transport, motorways and tram lines, starting and then stopping, taking off and landing, the emptiest of feelings. so disappointing. Radiohead, as you have seen now, is stereotyped for being about alienation and paranoia. This is a poignant and emotion-based response to their typical lyrical themes about how I thought the future would be cooler and it's just disappointing. I'm still lonely. Mm -hmm. um, and the part that he really mumbles, but then I think is God, just one of the most beautiful moments in their discography. And I could have also chosen it as one of their best lyrical images after the, I would say it's kind of a second bridge. He says, mm -hmm. and one day I am going to grow wings, a chemical reaction. You know where you are, hysterical and useless. You know where you are. image of somebody avoiding the things that he talks about at the beginning of the song, right? Yeah. If you have wings, you don't have to get on the tram. You don't have to sit in these crowded seats next to 10,000 people in a metal tube. You can just yeah. travel on your own and be free. And I think that that's like the beauty of this song, because this song is one of their most beautiful songs, in my yeah. opinion. Yes, absolutely. Um, and largely due to this fantastic guitar line at the beginning, Ugh. which you can hear very prominently at the beginning. Which of the again song. is is yeah, then very much interplayed between the three guitarists, which I'll get yeah. But I think this song is is one of those songs that has really heart wrenching lyrics set to a beautiful backdrop, and it makes it that much more kind of melancholic. Yeah. yeah. The lyrics uh, of the chorus is let down and hanging around, crushed like a bug in the ground. So really bringing home this idea of like, I may be a bug, but one day I'm going to grow wing. It, yeah. it really, it chokes you up. And again, this is the best mumble because he really mumbles that line, but then around him, the song get, gets to its crescendo. I think it really, everything instrumentally swells around him. So, oh man. 
my best mumble is a little bit of a, a little bit of a joke. I chose everything <laughs> in its right place, which is the lead track on Kid A. This song, the lyrics are actually quite clear when he's singing them uh, yeah. throughout the song, but it's the, the very beginning of this song has this vocal sample that's all choppy and loopy and kind of crazy and bouncing all over the place. You know, at first you're like, is he saying something? Is this a piece of a lyric? Is it yeah. going to come back? And it never comes back. And I think it's also indicative of what this album is, which is very abrasively distinct from their previous work. So as, yeah. as Dane very eloquently described, this was them creating an electronica album with elements of rock on top of that, rather than OK Computer, their previous album, which was a rock album with elements of electronica on top of that. And this is a very poignant example of them using electronica as the foundation of, of their music for this whole album. I also say on a personal level, I in college started listening to Radiohead more than just, you know, Carmel Police and the songs that again, I, I heard on alternative radio in, in Boston growing up and listening to Kid A, I was not expecting the sounds that I heard. Mm -hmm. This was one of those things where you're like, what is happening? So it's just a really, it's a meaningful song to me in terms of my progression of understanding this group, but also a damn good mumble if I've ever heard oh. it. Great choice. Yeah. You as well. Thank you, sir. Um, uh, so let's talk about category the second. Yes. So uh, I suggested the best bleep bloop, bleep and or bloop. <laughs> Again, Radiohead is, I'd say, top three things they're most famous for is just incorporating like really weird, abrasive, but appealing sounds. You don't turn away from the crunch of creep. I've used this metaphor before. It's like scratching a mosquito bite too hard. It's it's, it's unpleasant, but so pleasant. Mm -hmm. It's so weird. I, I need to mention two very important honorable mentions that we both mm -hmm. wouldn't have chosen because it's just too obvious. One is creep, the crunch. Yep. The other is the ending of Karma Police, which is maybe their most famous bleep bloop. honorable mention to that but what did what did you choose for your best belief and or bloop yeah so we talked about the king of limbs as an album being not super well received and a little bit kind of of, of what what people thought as like a clunker mm -hmm. like oh that's too bad that could have been better um mm -hmm. i chose the song lotus flower which was the single off of this album very well memefied by all um, the radiohead memes out memers out there Amazing um, video of Tom York, uh, a rare a bowler hat, <laughs> a rare moment I would say of Radiohead's sense of humor. Radio Radiohead is a, also a famously just completely humorless band, but mm -hmm. the video is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's Tom York in black and white in a bowler hat, 
jamming out doing essentially somebody really should make some drake style memes of this mm-hmm. um you know because he's got some really good dance moves in this one but um this song is is really based on just the rhythm and tom york has this really kind of beautiful falsetto in the chorus that goes along with it Man, there are some bleeps and bloops in in these drums. Um, And there's a sound in there in particular that I always think is just the most perfect little flourish, which is this kind of... But it's this little bass tone that kind of drops. It's like a sine wave sound that kind of drops down a couple octaves in a very short period of time. Almost like they unplugged the Moog or something and it like powered it. Yeah, 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 exactly. That sound of like a a record slowing down when you turn off the record player kind of sound. And I just love it. The song is really fun and and off of an album that, although it wasn't really uh, well received, I do think has a lot of great tracks and and this one being, being a highlight. My choice, your choice is Bananaco, which is a B-side off of a single from the Benz, uh, the final song on the Benz, Street Spirit, Fade Out. This single contains, I'd say, two of their most uh, fan-favorite B-sides, uh, Talk Show Host, which was along with Exit Music featured in uh, Romeo Plus Juliet starring Leo and Claire. And then Bananaco, which was an early favorite of mine as a teenager. And it's definitely in the same vein as Just. It's definitely a Ben's era song. And really almost structurally, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a verse, chorus, verse, grunge song. And then they just, in the middle eight, allow Johnny Greenwood to do his Johnny Greenwood thing. Yeah, the, the, the solo on this is just a lot of tremolo and weird guitar effects. And it's maybe not on the level of weirdness as, as stuff like, you know, the end of Karma Police or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's always been the, the key that unlocks the song for me. And I just, I just love it. It sounds extremely demented. Yeah, it's a great one. If you were an outsider to Radiohead or you're just a casual fan and you want to know kind of what Johnny Greenwood brings to the table and like why he's pretty famous for being the virtuoso of the band, it it, it all began with his weird guitar solos. Mm -hmm. It's interesting because it sounds like a Radiohead song I've heard. But again, this maybe gets to their uh, musical themes that make it feel like kind of a familiar blanket where you're like, ah, I've seen this before. I've I've used one before. Everything's underground. 
Okay, prettiest moment. Let it be said that both of our choices are off of In Rainbows, and actually this is not the only song I was going to choose off of In Rainbows for prettiest moment. This, this album has so many absolutely gorgeous songs. Before I talk about my choice, I just want to call out the song All I Need. Ugh. as being, you know, I was sort of, it was sort of a toss up for me between these two. I think yeah. the only reason I chose uh, my choice was because I've been playing it on guitar a lot recently and, and playing it with a, with a group of people. Um, I mean, and your moment is just, it's pretty Radiohead on steroids. It's just undeniable. It's just, yeah. it, it's truly and the probably the most angelic Tom York yeah. has ever sounded. Yeah, it is gorgeous. But all I need is an absolutely beautiful song and really haunting in a, I think, a different way than the song that I chose, which is Nude. So I want to talk about this song a little bit musically, and then I'll talk about the moment itself. So I, I talked earlier about Radiohead doing a lot of very adventurous things in a musical sense. And this song, I think, is a perfect example of that. The song is in the key of E major. And the very first, God, there's a lot of pretty moments in the songs. Mm -hmm. The very first thing that gives us the sense of this key is the bass. Mm -hmm. So one of the very first sounds we hear is everything kind of falls away. You have this really nice instrumental intro and then everything falls away and we're just left with the bass doing these octaves and the drums playing. The chord that's being played is a G sharp. And so we, we start with, um, we're in the key of E again. So G sharp is the three chord and normally the third chord of a major scale is minor. So we start with a G sharp minor. So we're, we're, we're great, we're familiar with this key. That chord immediately changes to a G sharp major. So now we've kind of unsettled what is familiar to us about this, uh, this key. Then we move up to the fourth chord. So we move up half a step, which is pretty interesting because normally you don't use that, that half step using major chords to go from those two. So there's chromaticism, which is a word I used earlier. And then uh, we fall back down to our E major. So even in these four bars, we find Radiohead um, using this really interesting harmonic language to get across this absolutely gorgeous melody yeah. that Tom York sits in this falsetto of his mm. and kind of goes back down into his head voice in this very controlled manner. There's two parts in the song that I think really speak to me as being absolutely gorgeous and really, really uh, the best use of Tom, Tom York's vocal quality. One is right before the very last section of the song where we get this build in the bridge and then everything cuts out except for his vocal and he stays on this gorgeous falsetto high note and leads into this final section of the song, which again, I'm not gonna dive into it, but has a lot of really interesting chord changes and, and uh, sounds very Beatles-esque because of certain chord progression that they use there. But this final section of the song leading again to this high falsetto note that takes us out of the song is 
ethereal. It's just yeah. otherworldly, beautiful. Um, and uh, I definitely think one of their, their, their prettiest. Yeah, definitely one of their signature moments. That, oh, that yeah. Love this song very, very much. Uh, I chose Weird Fishes easily in my top three. Yeah. So if, if you're listening to In Rainbows and you didn't like Nude, you didn't think Nude was pretty enough, uh, just wait a track because this is the track immediately after it. Yes. <laughs> you know, and well, well, I will say if you're, if you're not satisfied with uh, Weird Fishes as being very pretty, <laughs> just wait one more track and then you hear the song that we talked about before, All I Need, immediately I after that. Um, several moments of this could also qualify as my uh, best uh, lyrical images. Yeah. I mean, your eyes, they turn me. I, I cannot think of a more like surprising phrase. I'd be crazy not to follow, follow where you lead. And then the ending, I'll hit the bottom, hit the bottom and escape. But why did I choose this as the prettiest Radiohead moment? Well, uh, back to what Wayne Coyne called the mayor of Radiohead, our, our most underappreciated member of the group, Ed O'Brien. So Ed, uh, he really, uh, he sits back in the group. He's not the flashiest member. He's not the one that, that people are going to talk about when thinking about Tom York's vocals and songwriting and Johnny Greenwood's avant-garde heroics. But the moment I chose is the prettiest moment is verse two. After he says, I'd be crazy not to follow, follow where you lead. We have uh, Tom York saying, turn me on to phantoms. And then you have Ed O'Brien doing um, yeah. just an incredible, incredible background vocal saying way out. the earth way out and then phil i think he goes from the hi-hat to the ride symbol mm -hmm. and it's just a chill inducer mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. the whole thing just completely fills out i don't know what the the chord changes is, is doing there but they they change something up your dane your your resident music uh <laughs> theorist going I, I don't know what they're doing but it, it makes me feel good Again, so there's Ed O'Brien doing the, um, 
the background vocals. And then, you know, if you watch their live from the basement performance of this, I think that is the best place to, to look. And with this song, you hear these kinds of looping. The, the I guess, sub name of this song is Arpeggi. Mm-hmm. So we have arpeggios, which uh, I think Ed O'Brien, um, if I understand their history correctly, is like kind of the driving force behind any of these kinds of arpeggiated I guess I would describe arpeggios as like playing each individual note of a chord, correct? Yep, that's yeah. exactly right, yeah. Um, I think he's like really credited for being the driving force of any kind of time you hear that kind of noodling, slinky, individually shimmering kind of guitar playing. Uh, but you can also see the teamwork on display here in the Live from the Basement performance, which I'll link to where all three guitarists, Tom, Johnny, and Ed, they're doing these really complex interplays of these arpeggios on their guitars, like as if it's all just one instrument. They're completely integrated to the point where it'd be hard on the recording to kind of understand uh, that three different people are, are doing this. So, you know, big ups to Ed O'Brien, Ed, uh, when you inevitably- if you're out there. <laughs> if, when you inevitably listen to this, I, I think you're definitely an unsung hero of this group and you don't get the, the ethereal guitar playing that is very evident in Weird Fishes uh, without Ed O'Brien. want another piece of evidence that Ed O'Brien really contributes something important to the group sound, listen to Knives Out, mm. uh, which is really the guitar line and that is really his style to the, to the fore. You know what I mean by that moment? A hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's a call on response of that moment, which is so beautiful. And one more thing I'll say about Ed O'Brien's vocal here, because this is this is when I was thinking of prettiest moment, this is actually kind of top on my list as well. So I'm glad you yeah. talked about it. Dane and I have actually seen Radiohead together live, mm. um, and I've seen them a couple times. And if you watch any live recording of them, you'll see that Ed O'Brien, when he's singing this call and response part, he actually stands very far away from the microphone because the quality of his vocal is so um, ambient mm-hmm. and, and sort of reflective. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is giving that call and response even more weight. And it, it's a very pretty moment for sure. Yeah. God, I love this song. Love this album. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about best lyrical image. Yeah. Um, so a little bit of uh, how the sausage gets made, dear listeners. Uh, <laughs> I am a teacher off for summer break, so I have a lot of time every day during the week to uh, beat Ethan to the punch in terms of choosing my songs while he works uh, extremely stressful uh, work days. So I picked Pyramid Song for Best Lyrical Image, which I think is really like, it's inarguable that this is kind of Tom York's finest moment as a lyricist and as a poet. And Ethan texted me and he was like, I wanted to do Pyramid Song. Uh, So I told him, you can have it as long as you explain what the fuck is going on in this song, (laughs) basically. 
So. Yeah, well, I, I am happy to do that. I was actually going to choose a song off of In Rainbows, and in particular, I was going to choose All I Need because there are mm. some unbelievable lyrics in that yeah. song. Good, um, good metaphors. Yeah, namely, I'll say, I, I am a moth who just wants to share your light. What an, an, an uh, image right there. But we can't, I, I wanted to restrict myself to one song from every different album that I yeah, could. So same. all I need, clearly we like that song. Um, so Pyramid Song, before I get into the lyrics, I do want to touch on what, what Dane's talking about musically. So this song, if you listen to it, you'll hear that the piano sounds strange. The piano yeah. is, is a really the main piece of this song and it feels like you're on a ship at sea and this you know the waves are choppy and you're getting rocked back and forth yeah and it's very hard it's not a tap your foot kind of song no um, so why is that well uh, thank you, David Bennett, YouTuber extraordinaire, uh, who, who has a very great video on this. Um, so I'll ask if you're interested in that, Dane, Dane can link it in the description. But uh, he explains that this rhythmic pattern that Tom is playing on the piano is broken down into chords that have a duration of three sixteenth notes. So we'll say they, they count three. So it goes three, three, four, three, three. So the chords change or they're repeated. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three. That is interesting for a number of reasons. One, uh, the song is called Pyramid Song. If you think about a pyramid, it's big in the middle and it's the, mm. the sides kind of slope off. So three, four, three kind of gives you that pyramid shape. Another really interesting thing about this is um, that this uh, pattern of three, three, four, three, three is actually a samba pattern. Uh, so musically, this borrows very heavily from uh, samba music. Was that Tom's intention? Who knows? Who knows? Um, but just a little interesting side note. And then the last piece that makes this sort of a, a, an awkward a beat to follow, an awkward rhythm to follow, is that one, there's no, no drums backing it up for a large portion of the song, but two, it is actually swung. And so when people talk about something being swung, it means that the beats aren't evenly divided. Yeah. So the first beat is a little bit longer than the second beat. If you listen to any music of the 50s, any swing music, any any jazz, any Frank Sinatra, uh, Cole Porter, that kind of stuff, swing is very indicative of this kind of, again, motion of the ocean kind of thing. Um, and so not only do we have this very interesting rhythmic pattern that is shaped like a pyramid, not only are we borrowing that rhythm from samba, but we're actually swinging that rhythm. Yeah. And with no backing beat, it's very, very hard to tell what's going on in this. To find the, yeah, to find the grounding for it. Yeah. So 
So why dive into that? Uh, again, it's just another indication of the really interesting musical things that Radiohead are doing to give you a particular sense of what this song wants to deliver. And yeah. what the song wants to deliver is in the lyrics. Yes. And so I chose this lyrical image because when I was first getting into Radiohead, for whatever reason, the album Amnesiac, which is sort of known, uh, I guess, infamously as, as one of their least approachable albums. Some of their best songs, though. Some of their best songs, but very all, dark. All on, the, all on the A side, I should say. Yeah, very, <laughs> very haunting. Um, and this song, the lyrics are, I jumped in the river, what did I see? Black-eyed angels swam with me. A moon full of stars and astral cars and all the figures I used to see. Jumped in the river, what did I see? Yeah, so this song is, we're floating in a river, right? I, I jumped into this river and I'm seeing these ethereal, angelic images, but also, you know, black-eyed angels, right? They're, they're, not everything is as you want it to be. Not The angels are not wrapping you up in their downy wings. They're sort of like evil spirits. And it, it's this, this song to me is the height of ambiguity because the, the melody is really beautiful and the chord changes are, are really gorgeous and very classical in their composition. A lot of leading motion and a lot of really interesting tones. And even the angels are ambiguous, right? You're seeing the figures you used to see, right? Are they good? Are they bad? Did you have a good breakup? Did you have a bad breakup with these past lovers? The, the lyrics and the music are so perfectly matched in this song. Yeah. Um, so that's why I chose it. And ju it's just one verse. That's all it really needs. Yeah, you know, agreed. The, the verse repeated. Incredible. Also, uh, I would like to note that Kendrick Lamar on To Pimp a Butterfly, the song How Much a Dollar Cost is directly uh, inspired by Pyramid Song. That, that is what he was aiming for. Yeah, Pretty I cool. can totally see that. Yeah. All right, Dane, what is your choice? My choice is present tense from a moon-shaped poo. Uh, <laughs> from a moon-shaped pool, uh, Radiohead's most recent album. We're due. We're due for another one. It's been, it's been four years. Might, might get it next year. Bring it on, Radiohead. So a moon-shaped pool is definitely their, um, their elder statesman record. It's just it's them doing the gorgeous sounds they want to make. And there, there are some 
really beautiful moments on this record on par with the prettiest moments on In Rainbows, for sure. Uh, present tense, apart from, you know, the more obvious choices like Burn the Witch or True Love Waits, uh, present tense is my favorite song on the album. You get this kind of, I would say, almost like bossa nova groove uh, for the beat, which is helped by Ed O'Brien playing the shaker. Oh man, this is good. This episode, I love Radiohead so much. This is definitely going to just be my least articulate episode. Like, I, I, I guess I understand it on a certain level why uh, Pitchfork just produced some of the worst prose ever created uh, on behalf of Radiohead. They really just take you past the point of being able to articulate uh, mm-hmm. what they're doing. Uh, there's just this point about three minutes in where Johnny Greenwood's just. Oh, God, I don't know, man. (laughs) It's good. I like it. Um... We, of course, have Burn the Witch, which is back to the well of of alienation and also kind of like encroaching fascism, which it's kind of like if you watch the the video, especially, it is basically like a music video length remake of the film The Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like pagan occult island society that sacrifices uh, an outsider. Mm-hmm. And they had been writing Burn the Witch uh, since the Kid A era, so... It is not a response to the Trump era. It is just a a prediction of the Trump and the Brexit, Boris Johnson, slow creep of right-wing populism. But the most most of this album is about Tom York's divorce. So as they were creating this album, Tom York was undergoing a, a really painful divorce with his wife. The album, which is sequenced, actually, the songs are in alphabetical order. Uh, mm. The final song is True Love Waits, which is a song from as far back, I believe, as The Benz. Mm. Maybe OK Computer. It's a very old song that was a fan favorite live. But as deployed on the album, it takes on a really uh, despairing, very poignant new context. Uh, you know, I'm not living, I'm just wasting time. Please don't leave. Mm-hmm. On present tense, I really love the first verse here, which is very much about going through a painful breakup. But I think it really disturbingly describes kind of, you know, my and probably a lot of people's coping mechanisms with the age of COVID. Uh, he says, this dance is like a weapon of self-defense mm. against the present, the present tense. Against the 
No, I won't get heavy. Keep it light and keep it moving. I am doing no harm as my world comes crashing down. I'll be dancing, freaking out, deaf, dumb, and blind. This idea of don't stop moving or else you'll have to actually contend mm. with the reality of these things, you know, likening that to a dance. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this user on Genius, the lyric website, Richard Hutchinson, who says it reminds him of the song Gyroscope by a band that Ethan and I both really love, The Dismemberment Plan. Mm. Mm-hmm. If I spin fast enough, then maybe the broken pieces of my heart will stick together. Makes me realize maybe I should get into therapy and not not do this dance right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's also one of the ways in which Tom's lyrics, as they often do, speak to very personal feeling that is also extremely universal. Yes. Um, I think that alien. <laughs> it's interesting, you know, alienation and isolation can be kind of universal feelings, Yeah. Um, even though they're so individual inherently. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that he he talks about those kinds of things in a, in a really beautiful way. And a lot of times that vehicle is his relationship with others, and especially romantic relationships. So it's tough to hear. But again, I, th- I think he puts it in a way that is very self-reflective and, and yeah. beautiful. So yeah, it's, it's one of the great utilities of art to communicate that idea that it's okay to feel alone because we all we all go through it. Yeah, that's well that's well said. Don't sleep on a moon shaped pool. I think um Yeah. I think unfortunately Radiohead is is in the stage of their career now where they are going to keep putting out really excellent music and Pitchfork and Rolling Stone will be like, yeah, it's good. It's Radiohead. Of course it's good. Um, I don't know. Did, did you like that that album? Yeah. Um, I don't think I've gotten into it enough um, because I keep kind of returning to my favorite Radiohead albums. But it is, it's definitely, again, I think it's sort of a similar vein to King of Limbs where it's, it's, I don't think it's what people have come to expect from a Radiohead album because it is quite, like you said, it's an album of ballads. So I think it, because of that quality that it doesn't have as much dynamism from one song to the next, it's maybe not an album that people want to sit down and listen to all the time. Give it a shot if you uh, don't know it so well, but yeah. Um, Best Radiohead song. Uh, let's end with yours just because it does, as you said, you chose it because it encapsulates everything. I'll talk about mine. Again, I'm not going to be eloquent about this. Um, and especially especially with this one. Uh, okay, so my choice is Separator, which is the final track on The King of Limbs. I don't know, man. I If, if anyone out there uh, also adores the song Separator, like, please start a fan club with me because I feel, uh, like Ethan was saying, I feel lonely. I feel like only Tom is singing to me on this song. Although uh, I did eventually convince you, Ethan, that this song is very special, very exceptional. Yeah. I guess what I'll say about, I, I can't say much to argue about it. When I say this is the best Radiohead song, you either get what I mean or you don't. Um, and if you don't get it, you're like, yeah, it's just like a pretty, it's like a cool groove on the drums and it's kind of the same throughout. And it's just like fine. It's just like a fine Radiohead song. Yeah. 
subjectively, like Phil Selway's beat, I think it's like one of his coolest beats. I learned it mm. uh, mm-hmm. when it came out. He's doing something somewhat similar to the Purdy Shuffle. It's definitely like a shuffle groove. When I first heard it, it sounded very busy, but again, like the Purdy Shuffle, it's 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 a very elegant beat and it stays the same throughout. And I think it speaks to what we've said throughout this whole episode about Phil Selway that he is maybe not the most, you know, not the flashiest drummer, but he creates this song with the beat. Mm-hmm. The, the beat this, this song is his mm-hmm. uh, because of that, that groove. <sighs> I'm gonna sound so stupid here. Like Colin's bass sounds great. Mm-hmm. The the guitars, which, as I mentioned before, we have these three kind of arpeggiating guitar lines between our three guitarists, just really judiciously employed. I don't think Tom's voice has ever sounded better. Mm. Um, it's a really comforting song. It's just about dreaming. It's just about having mm-hmm. a good dream. Mm-hmm. And it's this idea, the, the separator, right? The, the separator between worlds. Mm. really judicious production effects it's just like it's haiku like in its perfection i don't know it's just so beautiful the outro is beautiful i don't know what to say about it i just adore this song i've listened to it so many times yeah and i will say uh if i want to like maybe spin some kind of metaphor out of this about you know my my final word about radiohead about those lyrics it's about a good it's about a good dream i really do think every moment with radiohead surprises and it defies parody right back to that idea that they are like pretentious well no they're more complicated than that because they are popular communicators of their pretentiousness they're mopey and paranoid but like no as we've said before they can take you to the highest most Mm. transcendent beautiful heights the song is not mopey or over serious or cranky about the impending like techno apocalypse. Mm-hmm. The song defies that cynicism. It's just about he, Tom York because I finally I've been free of all the weight I've been carrying, and he means it. Mm-hmm. And then the song ends with him waking up. just gives me what i need and like yeah very very happy to have a, a late era radiohead song speak to me so so deeply because it yeah. just shows that like they still have such amazing ideas i love yeah. this song I just sometimes love so you much. can't talk eloquently about something that moves you it's just so my brother is really really into art history and loves to go to museums and observe art and think about art and talk about art and you know sometimes he'll just go and he'll stand in front of a painting for literally an hour yeah. um, and he's told me that he's just done that and he's just started crying yeah uh, how do you explain that how do you, like you, you yeah. can't it just, it does everything that you need. Uh, and I think that that's good enough reason to pick it as your favorite Radiohead song. I will sure. say that just to get to get back to your point about all of these different elements in the song, I think it is reflective of what we've been talking about so far, which is everybody has their part to play. So Phil Spector has this really beautiful 
drum line that again is consistent, goes throughout the whole song. It's very complex and, and interesting and not straightforward. You know, the, the bass line here is very much underpinning the whole song and, and moving it forward. At times it comes through in the mix, at times it sits back in the mix. Yeah. Those guitars are, are loopy and spacey and yeah. also sharp and poignant when they yeah. need to be. And Tom's voice, as you said, is, is really very um, ghostly and very beautiful and very dreamlike. Uh, in, in in speaking to the themes of the song. So I think it gives you all of your, you know, scratches all of your radio hit itches. It really does. And yeah. if you've ever listened to this song and then been like, oh, cool, and then forgotten about it, I invite you to, to go back because it's so special. So, Ethan, for your choice for best Radiohead song, you you said, don't call me a normie for choosing this, which you're talking to the guy whose favorite album is OK Computer. I'm not I'm not afraid of, of you know, going with what is obviously the best thing and that <laughs> instead of saying, like, actually, the king of limbs is their best. Album. Yeah, well, well, I'm glad that you're you're not going to call me a normie for this one, although others may. But or yeah, maybe you're just a normie for other reasons. It's that's that's probably what it it's is. fun to be a normie. So I chose Paranoid Android off of OK Computer. This is one of their more well-known songs. It Can is... I say something really quickly? Please, yeah. Paranoid Android is a character in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Marvin the Paranoid Android. Mm. And I learned, so they were listening on the tour bus of the, of, for the Benz, they were listening to the book on tape of Hitchhiker's mm -hmm. Guide to the Galaxy. OK Computer, which is one of the weirder titles of an album, although you can always assume that with its like techno paranoia themes that it's about like some kind of uneasy discourse with a computer. Uh, it's from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. At one point, a character says, uh, you know, the computer is talking to him on the ship, I think. And the Peter says, would you like me to give manual control back to you? And he says, OK, computer. And mm. so very interestingly, it's about taking back control from, mm. from, a, from machines. Uh, just a quick thing to say. Yeah, well, I, I think that that speaks to one of the reasons why I chose this song, which is it gives you every single element of Radiohead that you could want in six and a half minutes. Mm. So lyrically, it is anti-capitalist. It is paranoid, <laughs> as the title indicates. It is depressive. It is also questioning, right? Like yeah. there are literal questions throughout this. What's yeah. that? What's that? He repeats yeah. in the chorus. talks about kicking, squealing, Gucci little piggy. Um, just like, man, what an image. I can, um, I can tell you what that's from. Yeah, go for it. He was out at a bar and a woman spilled something on her Gucci bag and started screaming. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so again, very anti-capitalist. And it gives you certainly every element of every musician to their fullest extent. Mm -hmm. So you've got Tom York 
singing gorgeous operatic, going into his falsetto on occasions, kind of screaming and growling. Um, you've got some insane guitar work from Johnny Greenwood just going off the wall. You've got this very iconic, uh, very syncopated drum beat from Phil Selway. You know, all of the elements of Radiohead are there from each musician, but also from a musical perspective, this is on par with Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. Um, you have so many different sections. In terms of, you know, the, the complexity of this, you have multiple changes in the, in the time signature of the song. Yep. You have multiple harmonic shifts to different keys, especially in the kind of C section, I guess I would call it, the kind of extended like halftime uh, kind of halftime switch uh, about you know two-thirds of the way through the song. Um, which is itself using a lot of classical compositional techniques. And I think all in all, if you put all of that together, like that is Radiohead. You've got yeah. musical complexity, you've got lyrical themes, you've got a you've got lot all of their influences on display. I think yeah. you also have what they were hinting toward with Kid A in terms yeah. of the, the keyboard textures. Mm -hmm. It's it's abrasive, it's beautiful, it's grating, it's smooth, it's, it's just got everything. Yeah. Um, and there's not a lot of bands uh, out there that are as broad as Radiohead, that have as many influences as Radiohead, that can put all of that into one song yeah. and present it to you in a beautiful, incredible, digestible way. Yeah. Um, so if you are wondering what the heck this band sounds like, start with this song. It's really, it's their masterpiece in the like actual definition of that word. Yeah, definitely. Um, Who wins today? The listener. Radiohead. Oh, Radiohead. Radiohead. <laughs> Actually, the listener wins because they got to uh, hear some Radiohead. Yeah, and they got through us talking about Radiohead for yeah. two hours. Okay, yeah, again, to beat a dead horse, Radiohead is so universally beloved because they are a grab bag of so many different influences and complex musical ideas, mm. which a lot of musicians can do. Ingve Malmsteen can do that. <laughs> Any math rock or like, you know, a perfect circle can do that. Mm -hmm. but it is it is a rare echelon of artists that can invite you into its world instead of saying like it's up to you to to make that decision they are very inviting they're very generous and that's yeah. why i think they're one of the great bands
And that's why we did a whole episode devoted to them. So with that, thanks for listening, everybody, as always. Um, If you have an artist that you think we should dive into, we we have plenty. If there's (laughs) one that you really want to hear about, you want to hear us talk about and investigate, just let us know. Send us a message. Um, We're on Instagram. Yeah, if you want to hear the full songs that we've been referencing, click on our link tree and you can get to a lot of different of our stuff. You can also go on to the Spotify playlist where we put all the stuff. Also, shout out to my friend Lexi who listens to all of our episodes and also investigates the music she texted me one day saying look say I want to know as a reformed John Mayer fan what the John Mayer choice was but I don't want to scrub through the episode to remember what you know what the choices were can you give me some kind of guide so I was like luckily for you I love making spreadsheets because I'm a loser (laughs) so I I made a spreadsheet of the chorus versus chorus song guide complete Mm. song guide you want to check that out so if you want to quickly know like oh which one did they say was like the prettiest moment uh you can just go to that list and find out what we said uh so thanks lexi for giving me an excuse to make a spreadsheet and one last thing thank you to my dear friend william elizondo for creating our new logo which is new logo phenomenal Thanks, it is Will. crazy and it is very indicative of us as people. <laughs> Two saxophones boxing. With, pa- with pants on. With pants. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a lot.